think that's kind of where a tool like this can shine. It's a brainstorming exercise. I'm like, well, if I have a quick idea, I'll just use this to generate it because I'm not looking for a finalized version. I'm just communicating my ideas to my stakeholders. I don't think the overall process is necessarily changing that much, but I think that the velocity of the process is going to be different. Welcome to Dive Club. My name is Rid, and this is where designers never stop learning. Today, we're talking with Helen Zhu, who's a co-founder of Galileo, a new tool that uses AI to help you generate interfaces at lightning speed. So this conversation goes deep into her journey as a design founder, and then we look ahead to talk about where design might be headed next. But first, I wanted to learn more about their recent launch because they pretty much took over design Twitter with the release of their public beta. We've been in private beta for about six months now, and the goal of the launch is really, I think, two things. One is that we wanted to make this product really public to the world and get the message out. And the other thing is, it's a very technological, challenging product, so we want to make sure that we nail the scalability and stability, and especially with AI products. It could be very tricky if you get a large traffic onto your product. I think you've seen the the Twitter posts and like, well, you know, I think we had an idea of like, if we get something like 100,000 impressions, that would be pretty solid. And if we get 200,000, that would be amazing. But after we get it out, we quickly realize that this thing is exploding. It was yeah. getting like hundreds of thousands of impressions. And it really kind of brought this like exhilaration internally because our whole team had be like, oh my God, now we have to add servers. Now we have to upgrade. We upgraded probably five, six different infra <laughs> services that we used in like 48 hours uh, because of the traffic that was coming in. I mean, we were anticipating it. It wasn't like, oh, let's just go out and see what happens. So our team worked for weeks to prepare the launch, but when you're living it, it still feels different. I just looked at the tweet. You're almost at 750,000 impressions. Like you took over design Twitter. And then of course you have like a few hours later, you know, your, your co-founder tweeting like, hey, like servers are like basically going yeah. down, we're running around, everything's on fire. And it's like, that's kind of the startup dream a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was very exciting. Definitely, like I would say, greatly exceeded our expectations. We've been building this in stealth for a while and we've been testing it in private beta for a long time. And, you know, you're very nervous. It's like, oh, what's gonna happen when you're like put it out in the world? And we're super happy that I think most of the reactions we get from people are quite positive. So uh, it, it felt quite rewarding for not only for me, but for my co-founder and for my whole team as well. I think we've gotten over 50,000 designs generated in 24 hours. Wow. And we've gotten in less than three days, probably somewhere around 100,000 designs. So when you think about that number, it's, I, I think it's quite phenomenal. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> now I'm kind of curious, like you've seen all of the different ways that people are exploring and using yeah. the product and the different types of people even using the product. Are there certain use cases that you're particularly excited about right now? There were two use cases that stood out during our private beta period that was quite obvious that we had lots of designers using us to kind of doing fast ideation we spoke to this designer he's part of a design agency in Norway and they were designing this like cryptocurrency app 
and he was like, "Oh, like I use Galileo, and it gives me all the key screens of that crypto app." He said in under three hours, and he said without Galileo, I would it would have taken me days to put all these screens together. He was like, "Oh my god, like this tool is amazing." So we've heard a lot of those type of use cases from designers. It's like, "Oh, it gives me this initial set of screens super fast, and then I'm just gonna go." You know, tweak it and and finalize it, and saves me insane amount of time. That's the first use case that we've seen. The other one that stood out to us is the startup founders. There was one person that they are doing this like healthcare startup in San Francisco, and he doesn't know how to design, but he's like, oh, well, now I can generate ideas with Galileo and pass it on to my dev team super quickly, so they know what I'm talking about. And he's also using us to do customer interviews. He's like, oh, well, now I have this like five new ideas. I'm just going to generate it before I build it to test it with the customers and to see how they like it. So I think that's another kind of use case. I think is really beneficial to the audience because as a startup founder, you have to move really fast. And there is this third use case. I think what we realized after we launched, which is a lot of software developers. Started to use us. It's really interesting. They kind of like, oh, I, I'm I'm developing this news app, and now with Galileo, I generated some designs, and then I quickly, you know, put the prototypes together. I think all of those are very interesting, especially the fact that you're, in a sense, democratizing design for non-designers. There are a ton of implications about that、yeah. that I do want to just like save time and get to and have a little bit more of a meaty discussion. But first, I, I want to zoom into a couple little parts of your process, learning more about the early stages of this journey. And the first, you hinted at a little bit, which is some of the learnings from that alpha period. I'd love to kind of just hear you talk about how you've approached the user research process for this new startup. Like, what were some of the key things that you were trying to learn? How did you structure the process, and then ultimately, what was the output? Like, how did this、yeah. impact your product strategy? Now it's like you type something and AI generate you something, and everyone's like, "Yeah, it's it's a thing." But back in late 2022, you know, we talked to investors, we talked to users, and I think the general sentiment we got was like, "That sounds kind of weird. <laughs> Why would you want to do that?" We did user interviews, which there was a lukewarm kind of reaction. But you know, we went with the direction anyways, and when we actually developed the technology and put the product in front of people, I think they immediately got it. So I think the biggest realization I had is that I think when you work on AI product, it is very different than maybe some of the other verticals. Is that it's a little bit like consumer product, which is you really have to ship it to let people to use it to get their real reactions. I think because the experience could be super customized and personalized by just by talking to people. Well, what do you think of this idea? I don't think you are going to get a fair evaluation of what they really think of what you're building. But if you're designing the Instagram app, if you're just showing a mock of Instagram to people versus them using and seeing the photos of their friend, I mean, it's a very different experience. Which I think for AI products, it's kind of in the consumer bucket, which is. The most important thing I learned is that you really have to ship fast. The best way to learn is that you have to put the product in front of your customers and see how they're using it. I think that's the best way to learn. Kind of compared to what we did initially, just talking about concepts with people. I think it's interesting to call out for people that 
you're a first time founder. Like your background yeah. is in design. You were a long time designer at Facebook, design manager at Cruise. So you're learning a lot of these things and going through a lot yeah. of these challenges for the first time. My question is, what skills have you had to learn on the fly to complement what you already bring to the table with your design mm -hmm. background? I think it's interesting that I sometimes I feel like I almost have to unlearn some stuff I learned as a designer. I think designers, you know, we value quality and we do thorough research. We make sure that we design a great end-to-end -end experience. But when you work at a startup, what I found myself is that as a designer, I actually had to do less design work. Mm -hmm. I think that there is simply just, you know, not enough time, sometimes not enough resources to do the most ideal experiences that you would hope for. So you really have to learn how do you do the trade-offs with the resources and the time you have? And then the next thing is that as a founder, you kind of have to juggle between a lot of different priorities. You know, there's product, there's marketing, there's hiring, there's legal, there's a lot of different things. I think being a maker, being a builder, like we tend to spend time on what we're good at because that's kind of your comfort zone. But at the same time, you have to take a step back and think, well, what is the most important thing? for my company right now, maybe it's not design, maybe it's something else and I need to spend more time on those things. You kind of have to battle with your instinct a little bit of like, oh my God, I'm gonna do a perfect design versus, okay, there is a lot of other things that I really need to take care of. Let's zoom out a little bit because I wanna get your perspective on kind of where this all might be headed. Obviously we're all guessing to an extent, but your guess is as educated as anyone else's that I'm going to talk to. So maybe we could even start by talking a little bit more about like, what do you believe about the future of design that ultimately led you to start Galileo in the first place? You know, I, I was a designer at Facebook for more than six years. And then I led a design team at Cruise, the self-driving car company. So I've been kind of in design for almost a decade. And you know, the longer that I'm in it, the more that it's it's a feeling that has been built up stronger and stronger is that I think as a designer in your kind of earlier stage of your career, you, you spend a lot of time in the tools, you think about the craft, you think about, okay, I'm going to draw out this buttons, I'm, I'm going to design this form. But as you grow as a designer into kind of a more senior level and you started to lead a team and you start to help other people grow and you realize kind of the the really important skills is that you you really need to understand the users that you're designing for the business that you're designing for like what is the the objectives of your business and why is your business doing certain things and what is everyone else doing in your organization? How does your work fit into the context? I think knowing that being able to communicate it, being able to kind of distill all this information and to make the right decision, I think fundamentally that is a really critical skills for a designer. But, you know, I've seen a lot of designers, they're, they're amazing strategists, you know, they're great thinkers, but they simply just don't have enough time to spend on those things, to learn about the business, to develop those skills, because they had to spend a lot of time in the tools to do, you know, kind of like a repetitive task they've been doing, you know, again and again and again. And to me, I think when I see the 
advancement of the large language models in 2022, I, I knew that it, it has reached a point where it could potentially help designers to automate some of the repetitive tasks that they've been doing. So they have more time to focus on things that I think where they can truly shine. I can't just give you like softball questions because I think there are some people out there that are a little bit skeptical and push yeah. back on some of these changes. And so I'm going to put on my like design Twitter troll hat really quickly <laughs> and push on this just a little bit because even like the use cases that you listed, mm -hmm. you talked about like founders being able to design. Maybe mm -hmm. that prolongs the time that they're able to go before hiring a designer. Maybe they don't even need a designer if they have even a little bit of an eye for design. You talked about engineers using this tool. Mm -hmm. So how does this kind of advancement where you're just, just pushing the bar for what it takes to design something down to such a small amount, how does that impact the role of the dedicated product designer moving forward? So I think on a higher level, I believe the designer role is becoming more and more versatile. And there's a lot of skills on communication, understanding the businesses and understanding the users. And I don't think AI is here <laughs> to replace those skills. Now, in the use case that I talked about, where founder be like, well, you know, I now can use Galio to generate ideas and pass it to my devs. I think what that replaced is kind of the more time actually from the founder themselves that if he didn't have being a small team like they are, if he they didn't have a tool like this, he probably would have spent a day kind of trying to cobble together some wireframes or write a really long product spec doc and try to pass it to the engineers he works with, right? And now he can just do this, and it, which saves him a few hours. I think as their business evolve and things are getting more complicated and there's so much more customer context and business context, they'll need someone to be able to understand them and still into the right features to prioritize and build. That's the time that as a founder, that's usually when you hire a designer to kind of help you lead those whole area. And so I think to answer your questions, at least the, what I've seen is like how people have been using our tool. I don't think that necessarily replacing the person that they could have hired. I think they were replacing a lot of the laboring and the time spending that they had to, them, to do themselves. Now with this tool, it just makes it easier. I was looking through your product hunt launch comments just to kind of get a sense of how yeah. people were responding to it. And it's quite clear, like the product is good. Like it was so many comments of people being like, you know, I went in with low expectations and actually this is legit. There was definitely that theme though of people saying, hey, I just took something that previously would have taken me days and I accomplished it in an hour or two hours. <laughs> and so <laughs> I want to drill in even more like, what yeah. do you think designers can be doing in their day-to-day -day roles to move the needle at the companies that they work with when they are able to do so much more with less yeah. given these technological advancements where maybe they are spending less time in the tools themselves? My hypothesis is that I don't think people will necessarily spend 
lesser time in designing the thing, I think they're just going to have a faster iteration. They're going to be designing more things in a shorter period of time. I, I remember when I used to run like design sprint at Facebook, right? The design sprint is you get a lot of folks together into a room and you spend days there and every day you like pump out 10 ideas. And at the end of the week, you have like, oh, 30 ideas. Let's all take a look at them. Lots of the teams and the companies that I've seen, they spend a huge amount of resources on these type of visioning exercise because it takes time to develop ideas. But the things don't have to necessarily to be finalized because it's essentially it's a it's a brainstorming exercise. So I think that's kind of where a tool like this can shine. I'm like, well, if I have a quick idea, I'll just use this to generate it because I'm not looking for a finalized version. I'm just communicating my ideas to my stakeholders. And like, I think people wanted to see the ideas being visualized. I think with a tool like Galileo, you can have 20 ideas in three hours if you want. It's not like you're designing less. I think it's more like the things are going faster. And now you can just, at the end of the day, hey, we have a lot of things being produced and you can essentially go to your team, your product peers, your engineer peers. It's like, hey, what do we think about this? Like, which direction should we go deeper? I don't think the overall process is necessarily changing that much, but I think that the, the velocity of the process is going to be different. Yeah, I like that answer a lot. And I've been asking similar questions to other people and really just trying to understand like, what are the key traits that you can identify yeah. across the best product teams? and so often it comes down to just being able to compress these iteration cycles to run more loops more quickly. And I can see how a tool like this would help teams make that jump. Yeah, absolutely. I've been kind of thinking about like where a tool like this fits into my personal design process because it's not realistic, at least anytime soon, for AI to be at the point where you know, I just hit a button and the whole design is done, all of the thinking, all of the iterations, and it's pixel perfect and all this kind of stuff. And so if you think about maybe the design process as a series of jobs to be done, like what's the right entry point for a tool like this? And you've been talking a lot about ideation. Is that kind of where your mind is at? Because it's like, maybe you can hook into like a team's design system and you're actually building out production ready specs. And there's a really wide spectrum of use yeah. cases in between. So can you talk a little bit about where you see Galileo fitting in that series of jobs to be done? That's one of the things I'm very excited about doing this company and developing this product is that there's so many different directions you can go. And there is the, the breadth and the depth, right? And, and you could potentially go very wide in your generation and or you could potentially go very deep like what you said connecting with your design systems and doing super tight integration with the company's branding kit I, I think there's many many different directions that we can go and based on what i've seen ideation now is kind of a very strong use case that we've been observing and essentially it's kind of like the at the top of the funnel of the process that you described I don't think AI will replace any of the human side of things, like thinking about ideas, like what is it that we're trying to build, right? Why are we building these? I don't think AI is here to replace those thinking and those creativity. But I think once you're kind of 
have a general direction, you have some ideas. I think that's where a tool like Galileo comes in. Is when I say top of the funnel, I mean top of the funnel of the start of the creation. Is like, well, I can start use this to, to formalize my ideas and maybe to pump out a lot of ideas to get feedback. So, at least for now, that's kind of the layer that we wanted to focus on. Is that how do we Help people to edit it fast. How do we help to help people to visualize what they're wanting to build really, really fast? I'm going to put on my design Twitter troll hat just one more time. <laughs> I think there is a narrative around prompting that basically says it caps creativity because it's pulling from this constrained data set. And yeah. maybe even reduces the incentive to create something truly novel when it's so incredibly easy to just type something, hit enter, and pull from a set of patterns and templates that work. Do you have a take on that or a response to that design Twitter troll? Essentially, the, the whole like AI technology, the, the, the way it works is that they just read everything on the internet and. It kind of gives you a version of what his it has already seen. Not necessarily very good at creating something that is super novel, something that I hasn't seen before. And I think I've seen kind of the point of view on social media, which is, well, what about the uniqueness? What about something that is really novel? Like, is everything going to look the same? I think being able to push the boundaries of innovation. I think that's where humans can shine, right? The people who have. The real kind of ambition and intention and creativity to create something super novel. I don't think that's where AI is going to shine. I think where AI is going to shine is that I'm thinking of an example that how I use ChatGPT, which is I'm not here to write a Shakespeare novel. I'm here to write an email. I just need it really quickly. Like that's kind of the the idea of it. I don't think AI is here to necessarily push the ceiling. Of the design innovation, I would never be able to write a Shakespeare with ChatGPT. But now I can write emails and marketing copies super fast, and I think to me that's enough. Like that's what I'm looking for. That's a really good analogy. It makes sense, and it's a nice <laughs> way to reframe it. Because yeah, there's always going to be people that strive to write Shakespeare, and that's fine. Most of us are not trying to write Shakespeare, and this utility can really, really help. We've been talking a lot about the text to UI. I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about the image to UI, which is a slightly newer feature, and maybe even your vision for how you see this being used by designers moving forward. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a newer technology that we've been kind of developing in the recent months, and it came from the idea that you know it's not always easy to prompt things, right? Because a lot of us. Especially designers and builders were kind of like visual thinkers. You're like, oh, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Now I have to translate it into words and describe it. And for some people, it takes some mental hurdle to do that. And and the idea of image UI is like, well, can I just draw it on a napkin or in a Google Slides? Can I just draw some boxes? And you just take screenshot and give that to. Our AI and be like, I'm thinking of designing a homepage of an e-commerce app. This is kind of the overall structure I'm thinking. Can you give me something higher fidelity? I'm excited to see where that feature goes because something else that I it feels almost like inevitable that I'm really excited about the potential for AI in the long run is like being able to feed it not only just wireframes but 
visual languages that I'm really inspired mm -hmm. by or specific types of uh, UI or layouts. And I could take a screenshot of something that I really, really like and say, okay, now here's my flow. Here's yeah. the vibe. Make the magic happen. I think that is a really interesting idea, which is, you know, kind of there is many different aspects of the visual input that you can give, right? You could give content, you could give architecture of a UI, or you can give a visual style of a UI. Our MVP kind of took approach of like, okay, everything is one input, you put it and then you go. I think it's a really good experiment that we can run in the future. It's like, well, what if you let people to input different aspect of things and see how that would actually translate to the end results. So I think that would be something that would be really exciting to experiment. There's an analogy that I've been thinking about for much of the last like year even, which is basically like, let's say I'm driving downtown and there's this plot of land where construction is happening. And one day I drive past this little plot of land and all of a sudden a six story scaffolding for this big building is just there. And it, it just came out seemingly overnight. And mm. you're like, wow, I cannot believe how quickly that was thrown up. But then you drive back, you know, the next month and the next month, and it's still the scaffolding. Nothing has really changed. And you're kind of like, man, like, is there anything even really happening? And it actually takes quite a long time to get to the point where you have this ready to go building. And I think for a while now, we've kind of been in the scaffolding phase of AI where it came out of left field. It yeah. almost like hit us in the face a little bit. We were like, oh my gosh, look at this, what is possible. Let's think about all the different ways that this is going to fundamentally change the role of design and the overarching industry for software. And now we're like three, maybe six months into it. And I don't think there are that many designers who are actively using AI powered tools in their day to day workflow. So this week and those 100,000 designs, it's a pretty big deal in terms of the overarching narrative and where we sit within mm. this metaphorical building cycle. So I'd be curious to hear from you, like, where do you think we're at? What needs to happen for the majority of designers to be using AI mm. tools basically on a daily basis? Yeah, I like your analogy. I think it's a very smart one. I think the analogy that you give is not just describing this AI wave. I think you're essentially describing any technological wave. Right. If you think about the internet around 2000 and mobile in 2008, I think they all went through that period. People were overly excited. There were so much investment and, and, and eyeballs and attention get onto the thing. And then there was a period of like, wait, is this going to be a thing or it's going to be a fad? <laughs> are we uh, web three all over again? <laughs> <are> we... <laughs> and I think AI is very different than. I think the nature of it is, is a bit different than Web3. I, I believe AI is here to stay, like the internet and mobile. But it's going to take the, the amount of time that any technology, I think, it needs to take to kind of cross the chasm. You know, you have the kind of the, the innovators and then you have the early adopters. And then it takes a while, really, for the new technology starts to go mainstream. I don't think there is like a one particular thing that needs to happen that for us to get there. It's not something that you will see overnight. It's like, oh my God, tomorrow, and now everything has changed. 
I think it's going to be a more like a gradual process of you're going to see some businesses, especially my hypothesis that it could start somewhere like a smaller businesses start to adopting these things because they're under the pressure of their competitor, right? If your, your competitors are using AI to drive efficiency, to move faster, you will have kind of the peer pressure to do the same thing as well. And the same on the individual level, if you work in a company and you're seeing your peers are all using GitHub Copilot to kind of speed up their coding speed, and you're going to use that as well. But this adoption is going to take some time, but I think it's eventually it's going to go mainstream. You know, you've been in this founder's journey now for a year and a half, and I want to make this episode really practical for someone who maybe is on the sidelines or they're still in their W2 role, but they have that itch. Maybe they have an idea and they want to go out and do something for themselves. So do you have any advice or maybe yeah. things that you wish that you knew ahead of time before making this jump that you could share with other designers who are considering taking a leap and starting something for themselves? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to see more designer founders. I think that would be awesome. The first thing I would say is ad adaptability to change. You know, people say that when you're working a startup, like every three months, your company is going to take a different shape. You know, you hear it, you're like, yeah, sure, of course. But then when you're actually living it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is what it means. <laughs> it feels pretty crazy, right? When I think about um, three months ago, of how the company was and six months ago, how the company was, I, I think a lot of things have fundamentally changed and just being able to kind of mentally prepare yourself that the changes are always going to be the case. I think that's kind of the, the first thing that I would say. I think the second one is actually a lot of resilience because people are going to say no to you all the time. You're going to hear no's from your customers, you're going to hear no from your vendors, your investors, and it happens a lot. And knowing that maybe after eight or nine no's, you're going to get one yes, and that one yes is going to be the one that leads to the success that you're looking for. So I think having a bit of resilience to be able to take on that challenge, I think it, it would be very valuable. Well, it's been really cool to see the most recent change that Galileo has taken on and all of the success that you've had this week. Seriously, like congrats on a really epic launch and a lot of positive feedback and excitement in the community. I'm really excited to see where this goes. And if you're listening and you haven't played with it yet, use Galileo.ai. I highly recommend just tinkering and exploring and seeing what is possible because this technology is not going away. And honestly, it's just really fun to play with. So Helen, thank you so much for joining. This has been great and we'll be rooting for you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a really fun conversation. Really appreciate it.